What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, February 19th. This week on the podcast, I have Lee Hansen, CEO of Byte Federal. Lee has a lot of background in the crypto ATM business and spent a lot of time briefing Congress. So we really dove into what we think has revived this crypto market right now and how we think things are going to shape up going into the rest of 2020. With that said, if you like this episode, go down into the description below and click on the link to make a contribution to the podcast to help keep the ads away just a little bit longer. As always, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain or Byte Federal or what the hell is going on with this crypto market right now. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. All right, Lee, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How's your week treating you? I uh, just started. I can't tell yet. It's it's Monday though. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We're still alive. Hopefully Monday's off to. A, hopefully Monday's off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. So before we go ahead and uh, really start digging into who you are and what you do, or actually we're going to dig into who you are first. Um. Let's tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and kind of how you got into uh, the crypto space, blockchain space, fintech space. Um where you started and then kind of where you're at now. I was working for my dad as a uh, lowly insurance agent doing estate planning back in the mid nineties. And I hated it. <laughs> it was terrible, <laughs> but I like to fix stuff. So I, I ended up, you know, taking care of their IT and I'd always been in that space. I think my first, uh, my first language I started writing was CPM using the Commodore 128. So, you know, I, I loved it so much. I went out and got certified with Cisco and I took a bunch of classes from, uh, from Red Hat and I basically ended up doing it, uh, and helping other companies. And eventually my friend sold me emergency computer service. And that kind of launched me into my first entrepreneurial experience. Fast forward to, uh, you know, 2009, I ended up launching a uh, company called Pod Global, basically designed a a distributed data center for high-performance computing environments. I I got lucky enough to um, work with Lincoln Labs and design like the first spec for their Mount Holyoke facility. And uh, that company got, you know, we we got some pretty good traction, but it got, there was a hostile takeover. They they stole my uh, CEO and fired me, and I ended up uh, begging for sandwiches. Not literally, but close. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up working in a hot rod shop, and my neighbor across the street is a is an ER doctor and has this penchant for helping people. And he got mad at me one night and said, you need to go back into tech. So the next day, I got a job, like found a job on Craigslist for a lamp stack developer. And they hired me. And that's how I was introduced to Lennart Lopen, who is the co-founder of Byte Federal. And he's the develop- uh, the designer developer of Mars Coin. And he's, you know, heavily behind the Occupy Mars movement. And he's working with uh, consulting with NASA on, uh, you know, 
intergalactic economies and crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I worked as a Lampstack developer with him for a couple of years, and we got an opportunity to um, start a Bitcoin ATM operation. We discovered that uh, FinCEN has some pretty intense regulatory requirements uh, and neither Lennart nor myself had any experience in that. So we, uh, I reached out to a good friend of mine who's uh, been a CPA for 30 years and made him our uh, third equal partner and CFO of Byte Federal. And uh, he basically took over and steered the company in the most intensely, uh, you know, compliant fashion. And we've since become widely known in the industry as one of the most compliant companies out there. So, uh, yeah, uh, fast forward to today, we, we started out uh, November 2016. It's now February 2020. And we have 71 machines in 13 states. And we're so busy, we, we can't keep Bitcoin in stock. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you've definitely got your feet wet too with uh, with Byte Federal. And are are you guys just domestic, or do you have any international ATMs, or is that just a whole nother ball game? Yeah, it's a whole nother ball game. the The U.S. Uh, requirements are, you know, it depends on where you're at. Like if if you're talking Mexico or like uh, the you know Latin America, they have less regulatory requirements. Um, so you know. Right now, the, the market is, I think, like roughly 85% of the uh, cryptocurrency market is in the United States. Um, we're interested in looking at other countries, uh, potentially, but I think for now, uh, we're just going to focus in the U.S. Let's go ahead and move on to um, the, the stuff you're doing in D.C. Um, I, I know you guys are doing like these crypto forums and whatnot. That you guys have uh, briefed Congress. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you guys have done there and like what um, some of the topics are that you've discussed? Yeah, sure. Uh, it started out with us attending uh, the DC Intellectual Property Forum uh, with Janan George, who's a brilliant uh, intellectual property attorney and congressional advisor. And I got to go in and, you know, push the uh, push back on intellectual property a little bit. I'm a open source software geek and I, I really don't like software patents because I, I think that they just stifle innovation. But aside from that, we uh, we also launched the DC Cryptocurrency Forum. We get to dis, uh, you know speak uh, quite a bit about uh, market cannibalism and um, and uh, you know anonymity as it pertains to cryptocurrency. And uh, we did I think three congressional briefings and two senatorial briefings on those topics. Didn't really get into too much detail on it, but just made them aware that we we're willing to work and, uh, you know, try and foster a, uh, you know, proactive, uh, you know, forward looking approach from uh, the federal government. Yeah. Anonymity is a really touchy subject for a lot of people, um, especially with uh, the state of our government right now and how people have had or felt like they've had that compromise in the past. In terms of crypto, it creates such an interesting situation where um, we have all these anti-money laundering laws and whatnot. And at the same time, you have individuals that want to take back their sovereignty in terms of um, their money and their value. 
what's your opinion on anonymity with crypto? Is it something that should be promoted or is it something that be, should be curtailed? What are your thoughts on that? It's uh, I, I'm uh, very much uh, an ANCAP and constitutionalist. And I think that the right the right to privacy is it is vague is vaguely defined, but it should be more stringently defined and that the vast majority of the U.S. population are ethical. So, yeah, the 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 assumption um, by law enforcement and the government has historically been to use the lowest common denominator to make uh, to, to build legislation to basically tear down uh, individual privacy uh, and you know, violate their constitutional rights, as it were. Uh, I don't hold to that principle. I think that uh, every every law-abiding citizen deserves a hundred percent control over their entire data set, and they should they should solely choose whether or not they, you know, they give up any aspect of that to to law enforcement. The assumption by legislators that uh, you know that. They, they do the sell job to say that, uh, you know, they're trying to protect your safety while violating your constitutional rights. I am not down with that at all. I think that Bitcoin, as it stands today, has pseudo anonymity and the on and off ramps in the United States are required by FinCEN to, you know, store that data. But uh, uh, and the, the identities of the individuals, uh, their driver's license, sometimes their social security number, uh, their pictures, uh, the, the, a correlation between that identity and their uh, Bit, Bitcoin wallets or their, their other cryptocurrency wallets. And then if FinCEN or any uh, law enforcement agency requests that data, even without a subpoena, we're required by FinCEN law or by, you know, federal law to hand over that information. Yeah, it, it seems obtrusive in a lot of ways that for all these laws to exist around money in general and then how some of that's filtering into uh, the crypto industry and whatnot and how that's being handled. Like in terms of like crypto or blockchain, fintech, whatever you want to classify it has uh, laws, do you think that we'll actually see some crypto legislation. Like, do you think we'll actually get some kind of bill through Congress at some point this decade? <laughs> uh, well, seeing as we just started the decade, then the answer is absolutely. Uh, there were several uh, uh, bills in, in, uh, in varying places throughout the process. H.R. 295, which was an anti-human trafficking bill, calls for more stringent AML policies. And from our perspective, we were like, okay, well, so you applied the label human trafficking to it. Nobody likes that idea. I mean, it's horrifying that it even exists, mm -hmm. but the reality is that we are already required, you know, required to do AML and KYC. Like I can't imagine how they could make it, you know, more effective. Oh yeah, like it's it's got to be like incredibly difficult to figure. Like if you're a small business, figuring out how to handle like if someone came in and wanted to spend Bitcoin on a service or a product, like how do you handle that? Is it property? Is it a currency? Um, is there a de minimis? Yeah, that's that's funny. They they there was uh there there's a de minimis coming uh 
I think that legislation just passed, right? The one that says there's no uh, tax on transactions less than $200. But we Did they actually pass they, that? I'm not sure if it passed. And I think that the question our CFO put out was, okay, what's the frequency? Is it 200 a day? Is it 200 per transaction? Because, you know, it's, it's programmatic. Mm-hmm. It's programmatic cash. So, you know, you can imagine, oh, a $200 threshold. We'll just build a high-frequency trading system to, you know, spend 200 every uh, millisecond. Yeah, and then I was always like, what if someone wanted to pay for a large purchase in small installments? Like, like there, I feel like there's just so much to that they have to clarify. Like I, I understand and I'm like all for some kind of de minimis because like when you go to buy a cup of coffee, like I don't want to be thinking about if I have a taxable gain or loss on that Bitcoin I used to buy a coffee for <laughs> that I used to buy coffee. Um, but like at, on the other side of the coin, like I can understand like if someone wanted to buy like a mega yacht or something and then they made like installments every single day for like the last hundred years <laughs> to pay for it tax-free like i just feel like there's some like really weird like loopholes to that that just haven't been like hammered out right right that's what our cfo was saying he, he's like that that's a really complicated topic it sounds outwardly simple and as soon as you delve into it you realize wow there's a lot to figuring this out and there's the overall the overarching reality that the governments have almost no control over what crypto does so you know that in and of itself creates a really interesting set of problems yeah that that really does create an interesting set of problems because it's like the first time that they're trying to create some type of monetary policy on something they don't actually have their finger on um in a lot of ways and they're not necessarily profiting on either so it's it's definitely an interesting situation watching them try and handle that, let alone try to understand it. Um, it's, it's like every time they bring some kind of techie guy in front of Congress, they just they don't seem to understand technology in general. No. And the, the part you said where they don't profit from it, they don't directly profit from it. But if they foster uh, the uptake and utilization of this hellaciously important technology, what they will see is enormous advances in markets that don't exist in existing markets that that need to be set free that you know have historically existed as oligopolies or monopolies having them you know increase massively the amount of competition in those markets would be enormous not just for the united states but for the globe so they have to actually sit down and run the numbers and they have to actually pay attention to some of the industry uh, individuals like myself and others who are sitting here saying, OK, yeah, you're upset because you're going to lose control over monetary systems. But your control over them has not exactly been Bristol. Uh, <laughs> you guys have mm-hmm. kind of screwed it up repeatedly and people have paid the, uh, the penalty harshly throughout history. Look at quantitative easing in the way that they just print money, then they use it to purchase, uh, you know, they use it to gain great value at a specific threshold in uh, in the market. And then as soon as that happens, hyperinflation occurs and it basically pillages everybody else of the value that they've earned and saved 
because now inflation occurs and it, it, it just diminishes rapidly the, you know, your purchasing power. You know, if you look at uh, systems of control and how corrupt they are, it's always because there's a central authority. And it just so happens that someone created a, a, a store of digital value that is distributed and trustless and non-discriminatory and non-inflationary. And so it is only a matter of time that, you know, only a matter of time. And that will be a, an enormous focal point for value store um, be, it, because it just has to happen that way. It can't, there can't be another direction for currency because every direction that we select other than that, it has essential authority and they're corrupt and they're going to shaft people like they've done for the last hundred years. You, you brought up hyperinflation for sure. And, you know, that's definitely been something that has um, plagued the U.S. dollar um, and has plagued a lot of currencies for a lot of years. And back in 2008, when we had the financial recession in the U.S., that's actually the same time that we saw Bitcoin come into existence, coincidentally, whether that's coincidence or not. And that also began driving a lot of people uh, towards alternative methods for payment, alternative methods for holding value, uh, such as using Bitcoin and to get out of the banking system. Because I think people are really skeptical about keeping their money in the banks nowadays. Um, and there's also so many tech companies that are offering different solutions to uh, hold your money and to to spend and to buy and to do things online without going directly through your bank. Um, I just think people are more and more going to start trusting these tech companies in terms of utilizing their money for making purchases and buying goods and services and whatnot. And I'm hoping that that also kind of translates over to crypto as well. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you on that topic. The the thing I always laugh about with with you know LibraCoin or you know centralized uh, national co uh, digital coins is they they don't they don't they don't realize a major aspect of the the value of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized. There is no central authority, so there is no uh, you know uh, half cocked crazy behavior that, you know, prints another 20 million Bitcoin and halves everybody's valuation. That doesn't happen. There's a reason why, you know, it's such a powerful concept. And I think you know, a lot of people have a hard time understanding the difference. But over time, you know, the difference will prove itself extremely valuable. In terms of where we're at with the crypto market right now, like I know Bitcoin just hit $10,000 again, and I can imagine that's a huge psychological barrier for a lot of people too. Do you think that we're close to seeing another like resurgence in this market, um, similar to maybe what we saw in 2017? Or do you think that the market's going to shift? Like, cause I know that there's also um, a lot being done around what you can do with blockchain rather than just, you know, investing in it. Um, whether we're talking about decentralized applications or supply chain or, or voting or whatever it may be, there's a lot of invested value into that as well. Um, 
do you see the market resurging in a similar way that it did in 2017 with the way that's moving now? Or do you think that that's growth in, I don't know, maybe the right places this time? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, obviously the, the utilization of blockchain itself is a separate subject and, and rightfully so it's, um, it's utilization in voting systems or, you know, varying other methodologies of data storage if you want them to be immutable uh, in a trustworthy fashion. Uh, that that's the, that industry is just, I'd say it's pre-alpha right now. And uh, if you look at the currency side, the store value side, that's probably in beta. But... Uh, a lot of people want to believe it's, it, you know, it's stable, it, it, it's it's ubiquitous, but it's not even close. Um, we're going to see utilization, integration of varying sides of that discussion uh, ongoing over the next probably 10 years before, you know, we could say, hey, it's ubiquitous like the Linux kernel is. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like to laugh about is... Uh, the um, back in the day, in the early uh, days of uh, Linux, probably the early ni- uh, '90s is when it got started. Everyone laughed at us and thought we were just, you know, nerdy hobbyists. But now the Linux kernel is basically in almost every piece of electronics on the planet. So, what 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 is it going to take for, you know, this huge uh, revolution in 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 uh, in technology to become ubiquitous, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm guessing it's going to be another 10 years. And I'm also guessing that there's going to need to be a ton of integrations. Like I, I, I've been talking to people about, you know, your physical attributes being your private key as a way to store your own, um, your own data trail as it were. And, uh, there are a bunch of companies out there that are talking about similar things. Uh, about utilizing these, uh, you know, blockchain itself as a form of, uh, uh, you know, advancement to, like you said, individual sovereignty. I, I love that idea. I think that's just a stunning concept. And I think that as a species, we could truly benefit from that type of innovation and that, you know, that type of evolution from a, uh, from a, a liberties perspective and a pursuit of happiness perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's going to take some big integrations too. Like there, I know there's a lot of things that blockchain can touch in terms of industry because it kind of like, it kind of encircles all these different industries and there's, it's so flexible in terms of its uses and its use case. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's going to take, in my opinion, at least quite a while for us to really get that kind of integration, like to get big companies on board, to get um, the financial sector heavily involved in funding growth in this technology, to get government more friendly or to allow more exploration and innovation around blockchain. And it just feels like even in the last couple of years since 2017, that that's been really slow too. So hopefully that stuff starts picking up this year and that we see more growth around that. Um, but it's, it's really going to take a lot of these bigger companies pushing 
what you can do with blockchain and hopefully seeing a lot more competition in the space around it as well. Yes, definitely agree. Competition is the key to everything. As long as we have a robust competitive uh, surface or uh, a, you know set of companies in any vertical, then we can anticipate great innovation and healthy, sustainable markets for, for decades to come. Um, I was actually having an interesting conversation about competition in, in the blockchain space um, because there's a lot you can do with blockchain and other technology as well that really actually brings these companies together and that allows a company to protect their IP, that allows a company to uh, protect uh, customer data or things that they would consider important that is profitable to one company that they don't want to share to another, but at the same time be able to share certain information with another company so that they can cooperate more. It's a really interesting space. Like Obviously, you want competition because competition fosters growth. But at the same time, blockchain is also offering the ability for big, big tech and big pharma and and whatnot to to work with each other on all kinds of different issues. And at the same time, not sacrifice that uh, profitability that one company would have over another. It's it's an interesting scenario. I dove into it on a couple other podcasts with a few people, and you can definitely go into a rabbit hole. Uh, for quite a while on that. Definitively. Uh, yeah, the um, th- it's an interesting space. I think one of the, the you know, my, I have uh, my single member LLC is called Karitsu Net LLC. And yeah, Karitsu uh-huh. is, a, you know, a Japanese word for uh, cooperative capitalism. I'd love to see a huge uh, uptick in cooperative capitalism. Because I think that it, uh, it 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 takes a different spin on on competition. Yes, sure, they're still your competitors, but now you're finding a way to optimize markets in not such a uh, aggressive, maybe or caustic uh, methodology. You, you're taking a more uh, market fostering and market care approach uh, to to facilitating market advancement. I, I'm I'm in enthralled by that concept but I, I think that it's far more complicated than you know we outwardly perceive so we'll have to wait and see what happens uh in terms of that type of uh sharing i think it's really important i obviously it's not an easy thing for these big companies to do in a lot of ways but i i think blockchain will definitely be key in in making that happen and i think we'll see a lot more of that in the future or at least i hope so <laughs> Um, before we wrap up with the podcast and whatnot, I'll kind of open it up to you for the last bit of it, but what do you have going on, um, outside of bite federal and, um, what you've done recently, like, what do you have coming up that you want people to be aware of, or do you have anything on your roadmap or any of your company's roadmaps going into the rest of 2020 and beyond? For, for the audience, whatever you think they should uh, be aware of, I'll kind of open it up to you. Yeah, I'd look for uh, I'd look for company consolidations um, like M and A space in, in in the crypto markets for uh, the potential for one investing possibly, and also to see spin ups of more robust 
full suites of applications that that uh, facilitate better than banking like services that are basically add-ons for these uh, for these emerging markets. Uh, I think that there's a bunch of consolidations coming. And I, I think that it's going to massively improve uh, how we provide services to the customer base, uh, you know, worldwide. I, I also think that the the close attention needs to be paid to the inherent optimizations associated with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and other things like the utilization of blockchain for identity preservation and, uh, you know, the cooperative capitalism aspect where you can see, you know, varying companies clump together in order to, yes, compete, but in a more uh, friendly manner in order to dominate specific vertical markets. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot going on underneath the hood where the developers exist, where we're going to see some pretty amazing integrations of these technologies. So just keep your eyes peeled. Absolutely. Very excited about the future of this space in general and where it kind of takes us all, especially this decade. I think it's going to be very exciting. Absolutely. Um, but Lee, thank you for taking the time to come on and be on the podcast and talk about crypto in general and everything you're doing. And um, yeah, sorry about some of the complications <laughs> recording. I, I think we got plenty uh, that I can work with. <laughs> um but either way, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I know the audience will appreciate your time as well. Hey, Brandon, thank you so much for the uh, patience. That was really frustrating. Uh, I hope uh, I hope I can figure it out so it doesn't happen twice. Yeah, I think it was just the Wi-Fi. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Yes, stupid companies. <laughs> All right. Um, awesome. Again, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it, and hope you have a, a good Monday. Yeah, you too, man. Take it easy.